Welcome to Mercy Fellowship. We're saved by Jesus' work. We're changed by Jesus' grace, and we're living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we uh, believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to love God and, and who love people. And part of how we make disciples here at Mercy Fellowship is, is gathering together on Sunday mornings, singing God's praises, hearing, Lord, uh, you know, Lord willing, God's word preached and proclaimed, taking communion, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us, uh, giving tithes and offerings, reminding ourselves that we are dependent on God for all things, uh, and then, you know, getting to go about our weeks, hopefully uh, equipped uh, and encouraged uh, to continue to live lives faithful to uh, the God who's saved us and, and, and maybe even lives that we hope uh, maybe transition from, from areas of frustration to, to areas of, of flourishing. And we recognize that, that, hey, you know, we live in a world that's, that's broken, that's imperfect, and not everything is going to always go as planned or um, go even well. But how do we endure in seasons and in a world that's just, just a little jacked up? I mean, you know, there's such great, strong dichotomies going on. Yesterday was an awesome day uh, for me and my family. We had a whole bunch of youth sports scattered across uh, Snohomish County like chaff, uh, and and the schedules almost worked out for us to go to all the things. And so enjoying the sunshine, enjoying all that. And then at the same time, you know, my wife's like, hey, do, do you know what's going on in the nation of Israel? Like, do you know that there's a terrorist attack and people are dying and, and people are being kidnapped? And, and it's like, oh man, like, that, that's the world we live in. Sunshine and evil. And so if we're going to navigate a world like this faithfully, we better have lives that, that are rooted and grounded in something that is, that is more than temporary, that, that, is, that is stronger than, than this kind of the fickle nature of, of our own feelings, uh, of our, um, you know, just how fast uh, the news cycle goes on things. And so if we're going to actually even thrive in these circumstances, then we better be connected with the source uh, of something that is eternal, powerful, true, right, and good. And so Paul, in his letter to this church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians, he, he writes to this church, and it's a church that he loves. It's a church that he helped plant it. And, and, and he's now received a report on how they're doing and how are they enduring through living in a, a Roman culture that has a whole bunch of gods. And, and your God's cool as long as you don't say he's the God. As long as you don't talk against the Caesar. And, and so there's political unrest. There's violence. There's economic challenges. All things that God's people were dealing with 2,000 years ago that we're all still dealing with today. And so while this is written to a church a a hemisphere away a couple millennia ago, it is absolutely applicable to us today. And so the series we've been doing all fall is called Thrive. Flourishing and faithfulness is on this letter, and so we spent a few weeks uh, in September, kind of kind of laying out some groundwork on on you know how great. Well, really, this was a great church. Like Paul was super encouraged by it. More so than probably any of the other churches, except perhaps the, the Philippians. Um, like, like he is just lauds on them, how thankful for, he is for them. And today we're going to look at one of the key reasons he's thankful for them. is because the foundation of their church, the foundation of their faith, is not um, wholly experiential. It's not even uh, uh, emotional or pragmatic even. It's rooted and grounded in the Word of God. 
And we say the word of God, that could be you know, a phrase that, hey, you know, maybe you haven't been in church for a while. Like, you know, you know, maybe that's just something Christians say and church people say. So I want us, before we get into the text today, to, to be reminded and to know that, that words matter. That words have meaning. That how you shape a culture and, and how you even view yourself and others all have to do in some way, shape, or form with the words that we've ingested, the, the words maybe that you've heard about yourself, the words that you've said to others. The words are incredibly powerful. Like, like I grew up and, and, and you know, I, I'm kind of that, you know, in between like Gen X and millennial sort of, sort of deal. And, and so like, um, you know, I still got to go out and play and, and my mom like said, just come home, you know, at the end of the day. And I usually did. Um, and, and so like my mom said to me, like sticks and stones can break your bones, but what? Bad words never hurt. And, and like for a part of my life, I thought that was true. I mean, I love my mom. She was just wrong. She doesn't watch, so it's okay. Um, right, but she's just wrong. Like, words hurt. Like, 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 words sting your soul. Words separate and end friendships and relationships. Words declare war. And words can give and be a balm to the soul. They can bring restoration. They can bring healing. And so, I mean, even different words can can somehow impact us in in different ways. The same word in a different context can impact you differently. So um, you are a young couple, and you want to have a baby, and you take a pregnancy test, and it is positive. Let's go. You're excited. Nine months later, you're exhausted. But at that time, you're excited, okay? You go in for a cancer screening, and the word's positive. And it changes the trajectory of your next years and decades of your life. So I just want us to understand that words matter. Words are powerful. Words have meaning. That we even as Christians believe that God spoke the world into existence by the power of his word. We believe first and foremost that God is a creator. And he created, he could have created any way imaginable. But he said he spoke things into existence. That's how powerful God's word is. It, it, it makes the universe exist. It made your story begin. It created life where there wasn't life before. It's a word that fills your lungs and keeps your heart beating. And so Paul here, as he talks to this church, saying, hey, you guys care about the word of God. He is encouraged by them. And he's going to talk about how important it is to keep being rooted in God's word and even more specifically, proclaiming, or we'd use the word preaching, God's word to, to a world and to a people that need it. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You can also grab one of the scripture journals that we have for you. We want to get God's word in your hand. Uh, and today, uh, in our series, we're going to be in week four, um, thriving in preaching. And so Paul in this letter says this, 1 Thessalonians, I guess I should probably get there too. Okay, here we go. Chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He says this to this church that he's so thankful for. And we also thank God constantly, unceasingly, it says, for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men or men and women, but as what it really is. The Word of God, 
which is at work in you, believers. So this is the second time that Paul's uh, talked about his thankfulness for this church. He, he prays for them. And when he's communing about God, when he's thinking, hey, what do I think and what do I love about this church in Thessalonica? Like, hey, man, they had, they had great coffee, uh, right? You know, like they had good bumper videos before the service. You know, hey, like, you know, I like the paint color scheme. Big fan. He's, uh, like, he loves the purple pews. No. He's like, I love that you love the Word of God, that, that you uh, have, have formed a flourishing gospel community, a community rooted in and grounded in God's Word. There's so many things he could have been thankful for. And it says that they received the Word of God. Now, you can receive a lot of things, right? You, you, like some, some things you just have to receive, Good news, bad news. That word received, though, in the original language, actually isn't just like, hey, yeah, I, re- I got this bill in the mail, I received it. No, no, it is a welcoming. It is, I have received, like you're receiving a dignitary into your home. You're giving this word hospitality. You're letting it into your soul, into your mind. You're letting it dwell in you in a way that shapes the way you think and see uh, and experience the world. He's saying, that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for when God's word came to you, you said, yes and amen. I'm excited about this. I want to grow in this. And so there's a few things that we learn about this. It was a word, he said, which you heard from us. So when we talk about the Christian life, when we talk about proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, like, yes, there are deeds associated, right? We, we should be a warm and welcoming people. Right? We should have postures of humility and want to listen to people and hear their stories. But what Paul did when he came to Thessalonica and what he thought was of first importance in establishing that church and the church continuing to flourish and remain healthy was he began his ministry by verbally preaching what was true about God and Jesus. Proclaiming. Um, the, the, the word there, uh, evangelion, it, it, for gospel, for proclamation, it means sharing good news, declaring good news. So it doesn't say, hey, Paul came in to Thessalonica, and he's like, hey, let me just kind of do some demographic work. Let's do some market research. What are people's felt needs? What do, what do they need to do? All right, let's just build all of our sermon series about making people happy. He's like, no, I know that there are idols in this culture. He's talked and thanked them before about turning from things that, that maybe were good, but, but ultimately were, were powerless. They weren't as great as God. And so Paul says, hey, I'm thankful you turned from idols. The reason they knew how to turn from idols is somebody, Paul in this case, showed up and said, this is not powerful. Like these words of men and women, these various vague philosophies, the different psychologies, the different you know, you know, ways of being and life coaching and all these different things. Yeah, there, there's, there might be something in those that can be helpful in the short term, but they're not going to be eternally profitable for you. The gods you're worshiping, the hobbies you're giving your time to, the, the, the things that you are spending money on. He's like, hey, I, I want your heart, God wants your heart oriented towards worshiping and reflecting the glory of the God who made you. And so he proclaimed, he's like, the best thing I can do in this culture, Paul says, is to preach and teach the word of God, to tell people uh, about Jesus 
If you've been with us in this series, you know that when Paul showed up to Thessalonica, he started a three-week sermon series called Preaching Jesus from the Old Testament. He went through all of the old Jewish texts and said, hey, you know, I, I, everything that this is pointing to is about Jesus Christ, the man who showed up and lived the perfect life we couldn't live, who died the death we deserve for our sin, who we believe rose from the dead, who Paul met visibly on his path to, to a city called Damascus, where he's there to actually go kill Christians and try to shut churches down, change Paul's life, mission, identity, trajectory. And Paul's like, the good news about Jesus changed me. The word of God changed me. So I know then the word of God is what's most essential to bring good news, to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring restoration. To turn people individually from spiritual death to spiritual life. To renew and restore broken marriages. To revive souls that are parched. To bring redemption, to, to, to be salt and light to a culture and a world that desperately needs leadership and guidance. Paul's very passionate about proclaiming who Jesus is and what he's done. He tells um, the, the church in Rome, in, in the book of Romans, uh, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 14, um, again, preaching to these people, saying, hey, this is important for how God works. He says this in Romans 10, 14. How then will they call in him, or on him rather, whom they've not believed? Saying, hey, how will you know about Jesus? How will you know that there's no other name in which uh, men and women can be saved under heaven except for Jesus? How can you know that the only way your sins are forgiven, that your eternity is secured, that mercy and grace are experienced is through Jesus? He goes on. How are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Like, our church, you know, it's been a few different iterations the last 15 years, or if you want to count Marysville First Baptist, last hundred-some years, right? Like, what we do here is, I don't want to say it's not rocket science, but it's not, I was going to say it's not earth-shattering. It should be. It should be soul-shattering in some regards. But every week, we gather together, we sing together, corporately, praises about Jesus as our King, and we hear preaching, Lord willing, that points us to Jesus, and we take communion, and we sing some more, and those who call at home give tithes and offerings, like, that's kind of like what almost every church has been doing for like a couple thousand years. Paul, in establishing and planning churches, says, hey, preaching's going to be a huge part of it. Um, some of you are business owners and home builders and, and you're creative people. And, and, or like when you're in heaven and, and you have your role and spot, and like, like you're going to get to do the, the things that you are called for in a way that, that it doesn't have any toil or brokenness. So imagine what you could achieve or accomplish. Um, like all of you are probably going to have a role and a job in heaven. I don't know what mine is going to be because my job doesn't exist in heaven. I don't have, like nobody has to be in heaven and be like, you need to turn from sin and trust Jesus. Because we're all going to be there. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, Jesus is right there. There's no more sin, suffering, and tears. 
So I have to do like a six-week series on gender and sexuality because we're all going to be like, yeah, we get it now. Like, preaching, I know it sounds a bit of like a job description. I'm just reminding you, my job's kind of important now, just at least for a little while longer. And it's been important for the church for a long time. And when he says, hey, you and you and you, you are going to go and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to your spouse, to your neighbors, to your coworkers. There's a preaching component to that. There's a clarity of, I know what's true about God and Jesus. And because I know it in my bones, in my soul, then I want to share it with others because I want them to experience the same healing and mercy and grace that I've experienced. So while maybe I just pumped up preachers for a, a quick minute, just want to remind you that we were, we're here, um, right? Um, but preachers, at best, guys, because maybe you got your preachers, you like the podcasts that are awesome and, you know, all that stuff, and you're like, oh, that, I, I really feel close to God when I hear so-and-so preach. At best, at best, preachers are human agents that God uses to point people to Jesus. And so, I mean, maybe you're like, hey, um, you know, how, how is somebody going to get saved if they don't go to church or whatever, or if I can't just share a podcast out to them or whatever like that? Like, I mean, hey, God, God does work in a whole bunch of ways, right? I mean, people have read the Bible on their own and the Holy Spirit's met them and convicted them of sin and, and had people pledge their allegiance to Jesus, right? Maybe, like Romans 1 says what's evident about God is, is so plain and clear that you can see it out in creation. So yeah, maybe somebody went on a hike and, and as they're taking that, that wonderful selfie, they, like, they, they accidentally like have it not, the camera not focusing at them, but, but facing out and be like, oh, well, that's actually amazing. And, and, and be like, oh, maybe God, maybe somebody made that. And maybe the Holy Spirit just whispered the name Jesus. We know that in um, the Muslim world in particular, where there's not a lot of churches um, and, and, and God's word, the Bible literally is not even allowed to, to be in a lot of those nations. We know that God's meeting people by the droves in dreams, telling them that they should love and serve Jesus. So God, God works in a whole bunch of ways. But a way that he said, hey, your church, your community of, of faith needs to thrive and flourish is in the regular preaching and proclamation and teaching and equipping of God's word. And so one thing we can know is, is that the word of God does not return void. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. The words of God are trustworthy. They're authoritative. They're an affirmation Paul's giving here that this church is received and welcomed. God's word and so what I love about this, he said here again in verse 13, hey, you heard it from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And so Paul doesn't say, hey, you, you guys, we told you about Jesus. Um, we gave you kind of, you know, we preached a series out of Proverbs as well, give you some good practical advice about finances and about marriage and stuff like that. And, you know, um, listen, that was just the best we knew. So like, I mean, it's really just good advice. So you just take it, receive it however you want. He doesn't say, hey, hold up. You guys are taking my, my three-week sermon series on Jesus in the Old Testament? That was just more of a seminar. Like just, you know, just something to like kind of tickle your fancy around, um, you know, intellectual, uh, you know, pursuits. Just, if you guys could dial it down a bit, like all you guys do is talk about Jesus. All you guys do is spending time in God's word. Like there's a whole bunch of other stuff out there. 
We, we, we said a few weeks ago that, that regularly in Thessalonica, this, this um, uh, highway uh, was, was running through the town. It was a key um, you know, transportation hub. And so all these different philosophers and speakers would come through town all the time. And Paul doesn't say, hey, this is just kind of the best we, we know right now. He's saying, no, no, he doubles down. He said, you heard what we said about Jesus? And you weren't just like, well, that was, that was kind of a good new, good seminar. You're not going to do the, like, uh, what do we say? Um, chew on the meat, spit out the bones sort of deal. He's like, no, you guys received it. You guys, you guys heard about Jesus, changed your allegiance, changed your life, changed your eternity, and now you guys gather together, and, and your focus is still on the Word of God. He's like, that's, that's amazing. See, we are all shaped as disciples by what we listen to. Um, you know, it was really um, uh, popular maybe 15, 20 years ago to be like, you know what, it doesn't really matter kind of what you consume, you know, from, from media, from whatever else. And I remember, like, again, I'm just going to keep throwing my mom under the bus here. She was actually right about this. Um, what was like, you know, hey, maybe you heard, if you had like, like a, a parent or grandparent that was a Christian or is a Christian, like, you know, hey, I'm just, you know, listen to this music and the lyrics are just total trash, you know. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is my, you know, you know, is a cat, you know. That's Taylor Swift. It's fine that none of you listen to her. In fact, just don't. Just don't. I don't even like Travis Kelsey anymore. Um, so that's where we're at. Um, but like, you know, you just listen to these lyrics and they get in your head and, you're like, and maybe your parents said to you, garbage in, garbage out. And you're like, come on. But Stone Temple Pilots sounds so much cooler than anything at the Christian music store. At least that was my perspective. No, what, what, like what you actually listen to and who you listen to and what you consume shapes you. And that doesn't mean like, like I was going to say throw out your records. <laughs> If you got records or anything, keep those. Records are cool. If you got CDs, I don't know what to do with you anymore. Um, you know, throw out your iPad or your, I mean, your I, uh, I don't know. I got nothing. Um, but like, actually think about like who and what do you give influence to? Because what you listen to is you giving influence over. So if you're like, man, uh, I feel like the guy on Sunday preaches a little long. It's like, gosh, like 45 minutes. Can he like wrap this up in 25 or something like that? Like, you're like, yeah, but oh, Joe Rogan, three hours? Here for it. I don't know what it is for you. An easy way to check might be to look at your screen time. It usually comes up on Sunday morning. And I'm always just like, oh man, it was way too much. And then somebody, and I, I was with some pastors this week, and they're like, you know you can like see which app you spent the most time on? I was like, oh. First, I, I want to believe it was like email, you know, or, 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 or Slack. It was probably Instagram. But as we listen to things, it gives influence so I want you to ask yourself, what are you allowing yourself to be influenced by? See, when I was, when I was younger, when I wasn't following Jesus, I, I would listen on the radio all the time to this shock jock DJ guy who was all about just teaching young guys how to hook up with girls for the least amount of money. That was my ongoing discipleship. And I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to study a word, like I would read Maxim Magazine, which was just trash. It was just like how to have fancy stuff so the girls will like you. I wasn't pursuing Jesus, but I was being discipled. I was letting a word influence me. And when God said, hey, your path of sin, your path of, uh, is leading to destruction, you're, you're harming others, 
You have a wake of broken relationships behind you. I've created you for a purpose. Some of that purpose is to to be a man who loves his wife and loves his kids and and, and works his job effectively. And eventually, by God's grace, I've gotten to be a pastor. I mean, that's kind of crazy, but we're here for it, I guess. Like, I couldn't be discipled by those same voices anymore. I stopped listening to that guy on the radio. I had to cancel my subscription to Maxim Magazine. And so, I don't know what it is for you. But it may be the first step in deciding how is God's word going to dwell richly in me or how am I going to thrive and flourish as a disciple is just doing an inventory of what voices you actually listen to. Who impacts the way you see the world? So for 23-year-old Chris, it's shock jock, Maxim magazine, and when I felt serious, some conservative political talk radio. And so, man, I was fired up about everything all the time. See, when you're regularly consuming God's word, when you're actually rooted in something that's eternal, when you're rooted in words of mercy and grace and justice and truth, then when the headlines rock your world, you're like, no, the foundation didn't change. The foundation didn't move. And it allows you to actually be empathetic and to enter into the suffering and, and look at, you know, go ahead and look at a feed for a moment of what's happening over in Israel right now and say, this is horrible, this is evil, this is terrible, and yes, I wish Jesus would come back tomorrow. And I know the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain, and the evil does not have the final say. And there's a God that's greater than whatever's going on with Hamas, whatever's going on with our economy, or whatever's going on with you in a broken relationship in your family, or friends that are no longer friends because of maybe something serious, maybe something ridiculous. Because then you're reminded, no, that there's God's word is eternal. God's word doesn't return void. Um, that first step might be, like I said, do an inventory of, of what voices are you consuming. And then I would encourage you I would implore you, find ways that you are consuming God's word, right? I mean, we all got one of these. There's an app called the Bible. And, and, and then there's like reading plans on it. And you can literally, very legalistically, check boxes each day. And when you get three to seven days behind and you feel like a bag of absolute garbage and that somehow the God has forgotten you and forsaken you, there's a little button called ketchup. And all the dates shift forward. And you're like, I'm on day 17 again. That's great. And, and I'll just tell you, like, I mean, we, I don't know why we scheduled the sermon this way, but like, like it's, it's October. And like, so you could start a one-year Bible reading plan now. Think of how many days you could miss before January and still be ahead. Start consuming God's word. Find preachers and teachers that are constantly pointing to God's word about Jesus being the hero in every text. See, God's word says some pretty awesome things about itself. Psalm 19 says this. Let's read it for you real quickly. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. This is David talking about God's word. 7 through 9. Talking about God's word. The law of the Lord is, is perfect. Th- that word means blameless. There's nothing you can find 
fault in with it. It's perfect, but it, but it doesn't just, it's not like, hey, God's word's always right. Hey, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. Reviving the soul. How many of our souls need to be revived today? Where and how does your soul need to be revived today? The testimony of the Lord is sure. You can trust what it says. And then it does this. This is one of my favorite phrases. Um, It makes wise the simple. That means even idiots like me can sound smart as long as we study God's word. Like if you're like, I don't get it. That's okay. God's word brings wisdom. Wisdom that's from above. Wisdom that shapes the way you see the world. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Like, what, how does he prescribe us to live? And the response to God's, like, righteous directions for our lives leads to rejoicing in the heart. It's like, yeah, hey, God designed you a certain way, so if you could, like, function the way I designed you to be, if the more you're in line with God's will and word, the greater flourishing there will be, the more joy you will have. I, do not hear me. We'll talk in a moment. Not, no suffering, But you will experience flourishing and faithfulness in the midst of that. And so the the response is like, oh, I got to obey God today. It says, no, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear or reverence of the Lord is clean, pure, enduring forever. The rules or I like this better. Well, it's what the translation says. Or just decrees. The just decrees of the Lord are true and righteous all together. God's word doesn't return void. God's word doesn't return void because it is not just worldly ideas. It is how the creator of the universe has designed and decreed the world to work. And so... Words impact in a way that shape our allegiance and they shape our affection. And so meditation, memorizing, studying God's word changes our actions. And so um, we all know what it looks like in our lives when we begin to drift away from disciplines. So sometimes you're like, oh, I came to church. I want to hear about mercy and grace. We're going to get to mercy and grace. Don't worry. But like part of how we who have experienced grace, how we've experienced the mercy of God, we then walk out life as disciples, which means there is a discipline aspect of it. And we all know when we drift from discipline in other areas of our lives, we we suffer for it. Go, Go ahead and stop budgeting for a month and spend however you want. Now do it for two or three or a year, depending on, you know, your means. It won't take long, but eventually you'll get to financial ruin. Stop being disciplined in how you care for your body, in what you eat or what you drink or how you exercise or how you, you know, do the things you need to do. And see, like, like, right, there was a whole documentary about a guy that went to McDonald's for two months, right? It went bad. Supersized me. Guy got huge. Go ahead and stop being disciplined or intentional about pouring into friendships and community or if you're married, into your spouse and do that for an extended season and see how that goes. See, when we drift from discipline, it eventually the outcomes 
aren't thriving, it ends up being wilting. So Paul's just like, hey, I'm so excited that you guys love God's word. When we stop listening to God's word, when you stop gathering, when you stop opening God's word, when you stop listening to people proclaiming and teaching God's word or reading good books, you know, about scripture and God's word, it's basically telling the God of the universe who created you, knows you, knows your story, knows every hair on your head, knows every cell in your body. It's basically just going up to God and just going, shh, I've got this. that's, That's what it is. Just, I I don't need to hear it. Instead, we'll find our souls thirsty. And when our souls are thirsty, we will consume whatever just just, just takes the parcha away for a moment. And it may not always be profitable. See, we are dependent people. Jesus says that we're not just dependent on on, uh, daily bread, but on the word of God every day. You and I, we are all dependent people. And as much as we are ingesting and meditating on and engaging in God's word, it is a declaration of dependence, but it's also one that feeds our souls in a way that leads to greater flourishing and joy. Okay, next verses. We gotta keep things rolling. Verse 14 says this. Back in 1 Thessalonians. For you, brothers and sisters became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jewish religious leaders. So the word that saves you, that preaching, because hey, maybe there was a sermon you heard that changed an aspect of your life. Maybe there's a, a, a preaching or teaching or a church service where you went from, I'm walking in sin in this area of my life, and now through the Holy Spirit, through conviction, through proclamation of God's word, I'm convicted of that sin, and now we're walking in repentance. Maybe there was, a, 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 you know, for my dad, right, it was, it was a big Billy Graham uh, service, you know, in the, the kingdom. Uh, sorry, actually, it was the Tacoma Dome for that one. Um, and, and so he heard, he heard somebody talk about Jesus in a way that stirred his soul in a way he'd never heard it before. I don't know what it was for you. Maybe there's that moment that it changed, but that word that saved you, that, that led you to realize that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, that God has given you grace and mercy because he sent Jesus to die the death you deserve on, your cro- on the cross. He sent you Jesus to rise again to give you the promise of new life now and into eternity. That word that saved you didn't just save you as an individual so you can bebop around the rest of your days waiting to get zapped back up to heaven, but it unified you with other believers. Those of us in this room that are Christians that call Mercy Fellowship home, we are unified by the word of God through the Holy Spirit. And here Paul's saying, hey, I'm thankful for you guys because you weren't just unified as a church in Thessalonica, but you became part of a global church. That you in Thessalonica, you guys, you're suffering because you used to be in this pagan, Roman, Greek culture that a pantheon of gods, and then all of a sudden you started following the way, the truth, the life, that Jesus Christ is the king, not Caesar, And Roman Thanksgiving got weird. Because your really patriotic Roman family doesn't understand 
that you're part of a different kingdom now. That you're part of an eternal kingdom. That you're part of a kingdom that continues to grow and grow. That's not defined by ethnicity. It's not defined by men or women. It's not defined by socioeconomic status. It's not defined by language or borders or cultures or other things that hold nations together. You're part of a kingdom that's defined by the faith, unifying faith in Jesus Christ the King. And now your business partner doesn't understand anymore. Now your kids stand out in Thessalonica Elementary School because the lessons don't match up with what they're hearing at home. And they think you're weird because you homeschool sometimes. See, this is what was going on. They say, you guys had to deal with that in Thessalonica. Paul's saying, hey, the church in Judea, right, the area around Jerusalem, he's like, they had to suffer too. Because everybody there just, just thought that the Old Testament meant that you've got to follow all the rules, otherwise God's angry with you, and if you don't do all the right things to atone, you're out. And they miss the, the whole point of the New Testament was to foreshadow the arrival of Jesus Christ in history. And so for those people who are ethnically and religiously Jewish, when they became Christians, they were called heretics. And they didn't get to enjoy Yom Kippur anymore because they're not worried about the annual day of atonement. They were now focused on that day on the cross where Jesus atoned for sins and said, it is finished. And so he's saying, hey, church, you're gonna keep thriving in persecution because you're now unified with all of these other churches. And he's going on to say, hey, you guys are doing so well. You're doing so faithfully. Like, Paul's not there anymore. No preacher, no problem. Like, like, like Curtis is on uh, paternity leave, um, right, which is, which is awesome. He gets to, to do that, right? He preaches sometimes when I'm not here. Um, we, um, you know, swap pulpits with other churches in the area and all that stuff. But like, if I was super sick today and, and Curtis was out and I was here, I, I hope that like the foundation of who we are as believers is we're rooted in God's word. Somebody read us God's word today and then the Holy Spirit, we know God's word doesn't return void. And so, I mean, some, you could just read the book of Ephesians like a sermon. I mean, all these letters are like, like and Thessalonians and all that. They're, they're all sermons to churches. And so these, these guys in Thessalonica, they couldn't even podcast Paul anymore. But they were so rooted in the word of God that they were continuing to flourish as a gospel community that they were even able to endure and thrive through suffering. And so Paul says, hey, I'm so encouraged by you guys that all that you are as a church is rooted in God's word, that adversity actually reveals what you truly believe in and, and what values you actually hold. Last verses, we need to close. We're getting over time here. When he says here in verse 14, he says, hey, you suffered from your own countrymen just as they did from, um, it, it might say the Jews in your translation, but um, the reality is, um, I have a text note in my Bible that when it says the Jews, it's actually talking very specifically about the Jewish religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus Christ. Okay? So um, if you read that, and, and these next verses I'm about to read, verse 15, um, it says this, 
So 14, as they suffered from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. See, if you read that, it just kind of sounds icky because it sounds like Paul's being anti-Semitic. So we need just a little bit of historical context even as we're trying to land the plane on this thing. Like I said, it's the Jewish religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus Christ. Paul was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Like the God says through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, all the nations are going to be blessed. So true gospel biblical Christianity has no room for anti-Semitism anywhere. Because even when he's saying, oh gosh, you guys killed Jesus. It's like, well, well hold, hold up, hold up. I mean, the, the Jewish religious leaders, didn't, they didn't put the, the nails in the hands. No, those were Roman soldiers. The, the Roman soldiers were just, they're, they're under the, the auspices and the authority of Pontius Pilate, and he's the one that declared the death sentence. Well, the Jewish religious leaders, they're, they're the ones that put Jesus on trial and said, hey, our problem with you, Jesus, is that you say you're the son of God. If you would just say, I'm a good teacher, oh, we'll be forgiven. And Jesus is like, well, that's just not true. He was actually silent during his trial. He's brought before Pilate. Pilate's like, hey, if you could just, you know, if you could just ease off on this whole, like, savior, king of God's people thing, that'd be great. And Jesus is like, my kingdom's not of this world. And so let's, let's just be clear. Who killed Jesus? Why did Jesus have to die? It's because sin separates us from God. That because you and I have all sinned against an eternal God, that means that our sin has eternal consequences. And God knows that nothing you or I are capable of doing can overcome that new gap of separation from God. So God himself shows up. Jesus shows up. John says that Jesus was the word of God, shows up and dwells among his people. He walks the world that we walk in. He's tempted in every way that you or I have been and yet does not sin. He knows your grief and your suffering when a family member's died or a relationship's over or a betrayal happens because he suffered it too. He weeps with those who weep even the moment before he's about to bring new life. He heals the lepers, the outcasts, the diseased. He feeds the poor and the hungry. He calls out the elite and the religious leaders. He's kind to sexual sinners and then tells them to repent and sin no more. These are all words that he spoke. He brought words of healing so that you or I don't have to be called the word sinner. The word spiritual orphan, child of wrath. What word defines you when your faith and trust is in Jesus is son and daughter of the king, brother and sister in Christ, citizen of the kingdom, co-heir to the king. Those are the words that define you when you simply trust Jesus.
Let's pray.